greetings and good, what is this, late morning. Uh, my name is Chris Denson. I'm the, I'm the name at the top. Um, I'm the director of Ignition Factory, which is a group inside of uh, Omnicom Media Group. Um, and if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with OMD, it is a large uh, media agency. And particularly, they buy a lot of 30-second spots, billboards, print ads, things like that. I run a group called Ignition Factory, which is all focused on innovation, emerging platforms, technologies, new experiences. How can we get our clients to do new and interesting things in the marketplace? Um, which is great, because I get to talk to all these guys about it and steal ideas. And um, this will be fun. I also host a interview series called Innovation Crush. Um, ironically, I just interviewed Elon Lee yesterday. So uh, you guys will be uh, happy to, to, to see about that. Was that? He was just, where were you? Where were you? Yeah, he was, he was just here. Um, so we're going to have a, a lot of fun conversation about playing with the future. That means a lot of different things to a lot of you, I'm sure, but um, we'll touch on as much as we can. Um, we were just wrapping at the table, and these guys are uh, uh, wells of information, so we'll, we will tap them. Um, so I'll start with uh, Aslan. Do you want to introduce yourself and let people know who you are? Sure, yeah. As he's on. Aslan Appleman, uh, Senior Director of Advanced Concepts at Mattel. Um, so I run a group of product design and marketing and, and strategy and technology, which uh, essentially kind of looks for uh, new, new platforms to play uh, for our consumers um, based on insights and, and try to bring kind of emerging technologies to bear uh, for one of our brands um, or, or uh, just a, a new brand, a new way to play. Uh, so some of the things we're working on right now, uh, the recent uh, relaunch of Viewmaster uh, as a virtual reality headset for kids. Uh, as well as a content ecosystem. Um, we, we also partnered with the Barbie brand to bring Hello Barbie to life. Uh, so speech recognition uh, embedded in a doll. Um, partnered with a company called Toy Talk uh, out of the Bay Area for that one. And then, you know, uh, other platforms like 3D printing and Steam and, and kind of coding. We're looking at a ton of the, the tech that's out there and trying to, trying to bring really amazing play uh, into the Mattel portfolio. All right. Our next most prepared uh, panelist. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your notes. We can read it for um, you. Uh, let me read this for you. No, <laughs> I'm Erin Riley. I'm a managing director and research fellow at USC Annenberg Innovation Lab, um, which is a think and do, fast-paced energy lab. You know, we focus on in the innovative uh, intersections of media, culture, and society. And my area of focus is uh, mainly on fan engagement children's media, transmedia storytelling, transmedia play and learning. Those are all things I've written about. <laughs> and it's all right here in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Joby? I'm uh, Joby Otero, Chief Creative Officer at Anki. Uh, Anki is a company that's all about to trying to create new ways to play merging technologies like AI and machine learning and robotics and trying to take fantasies like you see in Toy Story where toys come to life in a film uh, and try to make those things into a reality. And my role there is primarily to build and run a game studio within the larger company and to sort of bring heart to the technology. Uh, and previously, I had been at Activision and helped to create the Skylanders brand, which is also another company that was about merging toys and technology. So we're trying to add to that the dimension of bringing new ways to play into the real physical world using science-grade technology, as we talked about last night. And I'm Dan Judkins. I'm the VP of Design and Development for uh, Integrated Play and Mobile Gaming at Hasbro. So my job is, over the past four years, has um, been to sort of change a physical toy company 
into a company that's thinking about digital and engaging consumers with digital experiences and sort of coined the phrase digital, which is physical and digital coming together. Um, so products like Furby, where there's a heavy digital component and physical component come together, that's kind of magical experiences. So we're doing things like that. We're developing mobile games that um, allow kids to connect their toys to those mobile games. And we're working with all the big brands at Hasbro. All right. We're out of time. So everybody... No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess you know, this conference is interesting because it's a lot of blends of technology and strategy. And, and obviously, you guys' resumes and, and uh, work portfolio is amazing. I'm curious as to you know, how do you guys go about bridging the gap between what used to be play, right? The simplicity of it all, uh, Lincoln Logs, right? Or Rubik's Cube versus the, the integration of technology. Um, I'll, I'll start with Joby, because uh, you, you've got some science-grade tech that goes into, like, very, you know, uh, old, seemingly, styles of play. Yeah, well, I think the, the old toys are still super fun. There's something fun about just getting away from technology from time to time and just getting your hands on something really tactile and just throwing stuff at a wall, throwing stuff at your brother, your friends. That's always going to be fun. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I think a lot of it, what we try to do is we just tinker, frankly. You know, we tinker and we see what's fun to us. And ultimately, you know, we're pretty close with our inner children. Um, you know, and our inner children have the benefit because we're older now. They're, they don't have a distinct bedtime as much. So we play with technology until late into the night. And then we also assess it against certain business needs and, you know, sort of the white space in, in the marketplace. But, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to work with a company like Anki where we're willing to take risks on things where there isn't always uh, an immediate market need that we're pointing to, but there's just a magic of an idea and a piece of technology that supports that idea, and we're willing to go pretty far with that and, and make it work. And even from a, a Mattel standpoint, right, where you, you have franchises like Barbie that has been around for decades, and you know, how do you evolve that, and like, how do you preserve some of the essence of what play used to be versus matching where the world is headed? Yeah, uh, look, I, I think the toy industry is growing, right? Analog play and analog toys are, are not going anywhere. I think, I think from our perspective, and I think from, from everyone here, it's how do we use technology to augment uh, and, and deliver you know, kind of a, a more enjoyable or more immersive experience um, for, for our core consumer. So, so we all know our, our core consumer, uh, the Barbie girl, the, the Hot Wheels boy, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and so it's not really just let's, let's jam technology down onto traditional play patterns. It's how, how do we improve or, or deliver something new as, as a kid gets older because they're so, they're so enthralled and immersed with technology in their lives. Yeah, and speaking of like what we know, right? We were talking a little earlier about data, mm -hmm. you know, and the amount of information we have on what kids are doing, you know, with the toys and when they're engaging with them. Can you just speak to how that, you know, um, uh, uh, applies to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Me? Yep. So um, obviously, insights and the sort of the tinkering and the technology are important, but you know, as you start to get products out there and platforms out there, and now having data to help you inform. Help you make decisions, help you justify decisions that you're making, and driving those innovations forward is really, really important. Um, small things like, you know, with Furby Boom, we know that the biggest, most important feature in Furby Boom was Furby going to the bathroom and kids taking Furby to the bathroom, and that was by far the most enjoyable experience for them. Data drove that because our analyt analytics told us that. That wasn't just kids telling us that. So, um, you know, we now know that we have a brand that we can, you know, do different things with and push the boundaries. 
Would a kid tell you that he took his toy into the bathroom, or she? <laughs> um, generally, yeah, they're pretty proud of it. Because, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, but I, I mean, seriously, I think about the, you know, the uh, the idea of research, right? Does and, your uh, child and, tell you when he's going to the bathroom? <laughs> Not I mean, always. It's part of like depends growing if, up, right? Depends if paperwork's required, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the more controversial aspects of Hello Barbie, for example, is is that we are capturing voice, kid voice, right? And, and you know, there's, there's kind of a, been a lot of uh, conversation in, in the press over the last several months about, you know, kind of protection of that data and, and privacy issues. But, you know, using that information, uh, you know, and, and we have another product uh, coming out this fall called Smart Toy Bear, you know, understanding what a girl wants to talk about or what a boy wants to talk about and how they're playing with, with the product is really important because if we have not created content or if we have not created play to satisfy that demand or that need or that story element, we can update that after the fact, right? Yeah. Being, being connected, um, you know, is, is many things, but being connected allows you to continue delivering new, fresh content after, you know, they've, yeah. they've, they've purchased the product, whether it's embedded like Hello Barbie or, or app, or, you know, tied to an app like, like, you know, like Furby Boom or, or other, you know, I, I think it's, you know, understanding what they're talking about, understanding how they're using your product is really important, uh, you know, as you continue to add value. Especially since... Uh, as somebody who's gone through plenty of play tests, as I'm sure many people on this panel and out in the audience have done, with a younger audience, it's not always easy to understand exactly what they're looking for, what's missing for them in the experience. So the analytics definitely yeah. helps that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think also, um, you know, they're... Uh, designers are actually taking a very proactive approach, I believe, in thinking about what data they're collecting in order to protect kids. It's something that now is, I believe, part of design and development. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can look at, like, Elemental Path with Cognitoys that's just coming out. You know, they've learned from some of the press that happened even with Barbie to say, well, how do we actually still connect to toys and be innovative, but also have, like, a call where... They have to actually act in order to have that call and receive. And Aaron, from a, from an academic perspective, you know, how have kids evolved, right? When you look at like what research in the toy marketplace used to be <laughs> versus like what it is now, and always looking forward, and forward is always changing. You know, what do we know about kids that we didn't know before, and like, and and how does that apply, you know, in this in the science and the, in the academic part of it? Yes. Yeah, so when I look at play patterns, I I think that the play patterns that have been around historically forever are still there. They're just being reimagined, right? Kids still want to be creative. They still want prolonged interactions with their toys. They still want to be resourceful and have kind of that open-ended play where they can they can be imaginative. Um, but you know, I, when I kind of think about it, I go to like a race car or a ball. You know, those are ones that have had prolonged interactions. A doll. All of those are just being re-envisioned. So with a ball, you can pitch it, catch it throw it, but you can also yeah. control it from this. And it's not that it is replacing it, it's just actually um, you know, connecting to a new, to a new thing they think is a toy. Joby's just looking at his phone very intensely. He was yeah. like, put my phone down. Yeah. I was going to throw it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's actually an interesting thing you learn about kids, like where their barriers are in terms of like a sense of ownership. When do they want to have a sense of ownership on something? When they want to identify it as theirs personally versus something they want to share. But you just touched on a really interesting thing that I think we kind of have to periodically relearn is how much kids want freedom in the experience. Yeah. They want like a sense of challenge and rewards, which linear gameplay gives people, a real design linear game gives a good flow, but games like Minecraft also really powerfully remind us how badly they want to just get let loose in a toy store and just have their imagination go wild. 
I, I think you know, all of those things have changed. You talk about you know, kids evolving. I think their expectations have evolved more than anything. And those expectations are that they want to connect on a deeper level. They want to go deeper into these worlds. They want to be able to take ownership and create. And I think those expectations are you know, things that we have to consider and design for. Um, I think the expectation now raises more and more that kids want their toys to be alive. Yeah. Um, a good example is you've probably all seen that video where the kid uh, was Magic. playing with a magazine, mm -hmm. and they had just been playing with an iPad, and they're trying to take swipe. the magazine and kind of like swipe and sure. scroll the pages, yeah. right? They just, I think there's an expectation from a very young age that things are very reactive. Right. You, you actually just search child and TV online, mm -hmm. and you'll see many, many pictures of a kid, a, a yeah. young kid going up and trying to swipe. I, I have grease stains television. down my TV. From that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the way I look at that is like the fundamental lesson is the expectation of additional dimensions of freedom enabled by the technology. Yeah, well, you, you, talk, you talk about touching the screen, right? And, and, you know, there's been a lot of dialogue around this idea of how much connectivity to the technology a kid may have versus uh, connectivity to humanity, mm -hmm. right? Being able to, like, bridge the gap between, oh, I could, like, uh, there is a, definitely a psychological disconnect that happens with too much screen time or too much in, uh, engagement with technology versus just, like, hey, uh, like, touch, touch a real person. Um, I, I don't know who to start with, but I would love Yo, to gross. just hear some Sounds insight. Like something she should probably <laughs> take a crack at. Um, wait, wait. What is the question? <laughs> <laughs> the, the question is, you know, is, is there, like, where's the... Where do you stop, right? How much screen time is too much screen time? How much te technological interaction? And, or are there mechanisms even built into toys that um, uh, push much, kids towards? Too much screen time. I mean, even the American Pediatrician Association just came out with a report that was saying that, it, that it's kind of the wrong conversation to be having. Yeah. It's not about too much screen time, no matter what the age. It's about actually what are they doing with that technology? Is it affording play? Is it affording learning? It's not about that it's an evil anymore, which we saw in media literacy 30 years ago. You know, This is not about violence and only violence. There can be some really positive things in regards to learning. Look at Sesame Street. We all learned from Sesame Street as kid. So now we have not just television shows to actually educate us, engage us, play. We have, we have everything is coming to life. Our toys are coming to life. And so wh why blame technology for that? It's really about are you actually letting the kids, you know, play with each other and play with your parents? You know, are the parents engaged in the experience? Are, are you leaving them to their own devices? Or are you having conversations with how they're playing and what they're playing and why they're motivated to play with these things? Anyone else? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think she's, she stated it well. I mean, technology is amazing. Technology allows you to do uh, a ton of different things. I think it's the end of the day for me it's going to be a choice as a parent uh you know each family to kind of you know control you know what they think is the right mix of of experiences and w whether it's isolating or, or not i think our our goal is to use technology to you know encourage play and whether that's you know you know by yourself or or with your friends or with your parents um you know and then it's it's just a function of, of family and, and i'd say everything probably we're trying to do is to use the device or the software on the device to get kids to play with toys again or get kids to play with toys more. And that's definitely something that you know, I'm trying to do within my group is use the, the experience we're creating to inspire or motivate the kids to get back to buying a toy, playing with a toy, yeah, scanning a toy into the game when they're playing a game, 
but it's really engaging in the physical components as well. There's also just an uh, emotional comfort element to this. You know, I, I, I wouldn't pretend that at the beginning of designing the Anki Drive products, which is like basically race cars enabled by AI, that we were thinking that much about this. But in playtests, one of the biggest surprises was when families would come into play, how much they praised the aspect of, wow, it's like a video game, but where my kid is still emotionally available. Yeah. Versus, you know, I mean, I, I know that when a kid is looking like they're zombified and their eyes are glued to the screen, that there's actually a lot going on in there. As a designer, I'm not too worried about that, but I understand mm -hmm. the impact that it has on parents where they feel like the kid is off in some phantom zone and sure. they don't understand what's yeah. going on in there. You know, um, so I don't know what that says about what's right or wrong about these play patterns, but certainly from a, an emotional comfort in society with accepting and adopting new technologies, that's very potent. And with the, with the level of technology, like obviously increasing and the more you're integrating tech into the toys, you know, are parents being left behind? You know, and how do you educate? Like, as I'm sure most parents are like AI. Well, like what? Like, you know, they think of Haley Joel Osment and right. then like, suddenly <laughs> like, they're going to cry and leave him in the forest. Yeah. But um, I just watched the movie the other day. But uh, no, you like, all know the scene. <laughs> you all know the script. <laughs> you, you know, how do you, you know, maybe from the, the larger brands, but how do you go about educating? educating the parents, or is there even a need to? I, I actually think that um, the first thing parents need to do is give them give themselves permission to play. That, you know, you, you're, we're so nervous that all of this new technology is coming in and that I don't know it, but we don't need to be the expert in the room. We can actually be a guide on the side and let the children kind of guide the experience for us and follow them. And that really fosters collective intelligence in the mm -hmm. home, you know, where you let them lead and you follow but I, thought, I think also if there's parents who either don't want to play with their kids who, or can't play with their kids, and that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a problem. Um, yeah. And you know, that, that's something that you know, a toy company is going to struggle to try and fix. But you know, what we do see is that a lot of kids will engage their parents in what they're doing, will engage their parents in um, you know, the toy experience or the game experience. And I think you know, what we can do is design for co-play um, and design mm -hmm. for um, ways for parents to get involved, you know, speaking experience of my daughter and my wife my wife got stuck playing the My Little Pony game um, because my daughter needed currency in the game to buy gems and everything like that so I didn't see my wife for a couple of weeks because um, she was playing that game so I do think that, you know, that built a, a connection between my wife and my daughter and they did play the game but then they played separately as well so I think that technology can do that. Um, I think toys can do that too. Well, you think about the idea of like kid demand, right? And, and, like I remember Saturday morning cartoons. I'd be like, oh, I want the He-Man thing. Like that was what I would pester you know, my parents for. Yeah. You know, from a marketing standpoint, has how have strategies changed because you know there's less television time, or maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. But mm -hmm. you know, the touch points and the entry points by which we can reach kids has has changed. Yeah, I mean, it's just completely fragmented, right? Yeah. I, I think our job, any industry, the you know, it used to be just a commercial run on Saturday mornings, yeah. right? And that would drive, and you'd know when the when the return would start hitting. Yeah. You'd know when your sales would go up based on what you marketed that day. And now it's, uh, you know, I think a thousand fragmented platforms where where kids are continually shifting their focus, and you know, it's just about kind of pivoting and, yeah. and being, you know, being agile and where you kind of you're focusing on a given time period. I mean, you, you know, obviously as a, as, a, as a toy company, as toy companies, we're, we're marketing to the kid. We're also still marketing to mom, right, the purchaser. Um, you know, and so we, we kind of have to try to hit as many spots as possible. And, you know, depending on the product or the, 
the the you know what you're trying to communicate you you pick your platform and and and, and customize your message yeah. it is interesting though that television still does seem to be the most potent avenue still, yeah. um it's kind of amazing to me that given that there's all these statistics about kids under a certain age are spending far more time watching YouTube, and yet still emotionally, television is the most potent avenue. That said, we do spend a lot more of our time working with YouTube, uh, you know, the various uh, YouTube celebrities out there. Um, and one of the great things about that is that the more you try to do something that's an innovative new kind of experience, that's demonstrating a new kind of play, uh, uh, play pattern, is that the YouTube stuff, I think, gives us new opportunities to show how the thing is fun. Where on television you get 15 to 30 seconds yeah. and a whole new play pattern. Like we had a huge problem with this with Skylanders. How do you show the whole thing of to- put the toy on the portal and it comes to life and why that's cool? Um, but with YouTube, we can send out early copies to a bunch of YouTube influencers and we don't tell them how to play with it. We just go, hey, we believe this is fun. We hope you yeah. do too. And then they figure out how to tell their audience about it. Just yeah, really kind of an amazing new dynamic. Really important with with new platforms, you know, when there's a lot of explaining, there's a lot of messengers, a lot of things you have to communicate. Um, you do have a lot more freedom, you know, with with longer format like yeah, YouTube. I, I call YouTube University Tube, especially mm-hmm. for kids, right? Yeah. Because the top three YouTube channels are for kids. Granted, the first two are unboxing, which still yeah. to me is crazy. <laughs> um, but like the sixth one is Minecraft, and it and it's very much about teaching people. What, what I think is really interesting about all of this, though, is this new notion of emotional scheduling. So it's not about, like, t- Saturday morning cartoons and everything. Kids can watch anytime, anywhere. But now that we can collect all this type of data, how do we know when do they want to play with your toy? When, when are they engaging collectively as a group versus individually or with their parents? Um, and that's something to really start looking at is, is there certain times when we should be posting a YouTube video to get them more excited or change the way we think about marketing. Yeah, that's another important dynamic anytime you're dealing with physical thing because there tends to be some physical setup involved versus I'm watching YouTube and I'm getting advertised to about something or I can just app switch over and I'm playing the app immediately with physical product. There is more thinking that has to go into like uh, the context in the day of the user and when the message is actually going to you know, drive them back to the on, play. Yeah. And where they are in so, the so, context. So our approach is a little bit different. Yeah, we see TV commercials being less and less effective throughout time because of fast forward. Um, so what we've tried to do is create the digital component of our experiences, make them playable on their own. Um, and once they're playable on their own, once there's a core loop in that play experience, firstly, you get a better chance of you know, the likes of Apple and Google promoting it. But also, the kids involved, they're engaged, they're involved in something that's there's no barrier to download, it's free. Um, they can play for periods of time, they can come back and they play ongoing if it's designed right. And as they're going through that experience, they start to understand the importance of the toy or the need for the toy or how much the toy is going to make this experience better. And that really drives you know, them to convert to a purchase of the toy. You guys kind of all touched on this, um, the idea of you know, there's a learning that happens when a kid engages with a certain particular toy, whether it's a skill set or a social skill mm-hmm. or you know, even robotics, whatever, right? Um, and then we think about the classroom where a kid spends nine months of his or her you know, year, five days a week. Um, why is there, at least I haven't seen it, a, a enough bridging the gap between the classroom and, the, and what toys are actually capable of doing now? Uh, 
So I'll give them kind of an outsider perspective on that as a high school dropout. <laughs> you know, I think it's there's a lot of there's a lot of fear about changing that system, right? There's, I know a lot of people who are deeply invested and deeply involved in uh, things like a glass lab, who are all about trying to change how education works. Um, but there's a lot of uh, emotion that comes along with that. And for every one person, from my perspective, that is deeply interested in and actively working on changing how education works, it seems like there's tenfold that many that are, you know, interested in keeping the status quo. Um, It's a really tricky issue. Of course, people are deeply concerned, rightfully so, about how their kids are being educated. So it's a tough one, and I think it's just going to be something that over time, certain approaches are going to be demonstrably more effective and more fun and have kids coming back talking to their parents for a change about what they saw in school and instead of it having to be a conversation where we all feel as parents we have to pull teeth to figure out like what did you do in school today i don't know what's well, also know. like all these outside groups like uh i forget the gentleman's name but from discovery education who's been here and like it's usually an outside group that goes into the school yeah. which mm-hmm. that that's, has its own sort of logistical you know thing or like do either hasbro or mattel have programs where you go into the school or is that even like a, a thing that's on your radar yeah. yeah well a couple things um by no means an expert uh but you know, look, I think uh, you're starting to see, obviously, with the, 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 the massive um, focus on STEAM or STEM uh, education, I think you're starting to see, you're, you, you've always seen big technology companies trying to, you know, get into education. You've got Google and all, all the 3D printing companies and, you know, various folks, you know, bringing technology to bear and kind of investing for the long run and getting folks on their platforms, um, hopefully disrupting education a little bit along the way. Uh, but I think, a lot of a lot of kind of the trend now is 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 play is is actually you know an assist in in helping uh, folks learn right immersing themselves hands on um, you know Google just launched a, a, a program called Expeditions which uh, you know essentially is a, is a the 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 AV kit for for today's classroom which delivers viewers and and phones and a tablet allowing allowing um, teachers to take their kids uh, virtually to you know all over the world and underwater and, and teach them and and bring them along uh, along the way so I think technology and play are, are huge elements in in learning um, I think one of the the, the challenges and potentially my my, my, my um, opinion with being a for-profit company like a Mattel or a Hasbro is how do you walk the line of uh, of being there and, and being a part of that, but not looking like we're marketing to kids in a school. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's, you know, for us, we're actually part of the Google Expeditions program where we, we've donated our viewers, our, the Viewmaster viewers. Um, so it, that's just like, uh, you know, you kind of, it's not a marketing tool, but, you know, it may end up being a benefit for the company. But it's a really fine line being, you know, there and being yeah. part of play, um, but not looking like you're, you're selling yourself in the educational context. I think also as a for-profit company, it's hard to apportion resources against those types of things because yeah. the revenue isn't Agreed. there, right? So that's, yeah. that's just a tough one from a big company. I'd, I'd actually say that Lego have done a phenomenal job yeah. globally around the world getting toys into schools getting kids playing and creating and you know, working together to build stuff. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, here it's going to be driven by the STEAM mission, but throughout Europe, you know, Lego is in schools everywhere. Yeah. And Aaron, you're actually inside of an educational institution. Yeah, too. and I've used Lego many a times in my classrooms and workshops that we do at the lab. Um, but a few years back, um, we actually did a lot in the classroom. On, it was called PLAY. And we defined that as, it was an acronym for participatory learning in you. And some of the activities that we actually did was instead of 
is, was told the teachers, just come with a toy, you know, bring a toy. Like, we wanted them to start not only giving themselves permission, but what toys actually would they want to bring into yeah. the classroom. And um, they didn't know what to do with it at first, but you really kind of offered this open learning, and a group brought um, some origami sets, and they realized that um, they could take on role-playing and be like, oh, I could role-play as a chemist, and I could use origami to figure out, like, polymers and non- molecules cure things I don't I'm not a scientist <laughs> but I was like amazing <laughs> you're playing look you're taking something that you wouldn't think would be in the classroom yeah. and using it for a different purpose that's what I think is really interesting about the, some of the trends I see in, in education is that recognition of just trying to expose kids to a lot of things yeah. through play and then letting them figure out what they really what really lights their fire because that's what killed it for me in school as it was being taught in the 70s at least is once I got a field trip to the library in second grade. I was like, why would I ever want to go anywhere but this place? I can learn whatever the heck I want at my pace. Why would I go back to the normal classroom? So to me, that's like going to be part of the future of education, is finding ways, whatever education can learn from games about letting kids explore what they're really interested in and then getting them on some kind of challenge reward loop. Yeah. That's interesting, too, because you, you talk about, like, the you as an individual, right? Your whole thing was, like, the, the style of learning that you were experiencing in school didn't necessarily speak to you. And so when you talk about designing, like, educational experience or designing play experience, it, there has to be a little bit from a business standpoint, one to many. Um, how do you account for the nuances and individuality as you're designing, like, mass products? Boy, that is one of the Too heavy? Challenges All right, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's, it's not something that becomes a priority when you're working on you know, mass market products. Unfortunately, I mean, it sounds terrible, but um, it's not. You know, I think you know, you're focused on creating engagement, and you know, what we call it at Hasbro is play with benefits. So we're trying to implement you know, features that allow kids to develop both cognitively and physically through play. And trying to find the right messaging that sort of helps people understand that you know, a, Playing Nerf gets kids active and gets kids moving and playing together. Um, you know, trying to find messages like that and think about that, but without it becoming a key feature that you're selling. Yeah. I guess if I had to give like one simple fundamental answer, it'd be I find there's a lot of benefits to keeping a mentality of fun first, mm. because like what is fun ultimately? That's a deep question, but I think evolution has seen to it. We find certain things fun, even if we don't understand why. And so I kind of let evolution be a little bit of the guide through how we see whether or not a certain activity is fun. And we try to find the fun that is most universal. And then you can bring the parents and educators and everybody else along, especially if you then give them the tools via an SDK to figure out how they can tune your new brand of fun for their particular context. And you're also in danger of losing the fun if you focus too much on it being a learning experience. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I think that you know, there's some key ingredients that really make for fun, like, you know, I, I look to Legos, right? It's open-ended, mm-hmm. but it yeah. also can be scaffold. You can create patterns with it, but you can also do your own thing. Yeah. They're now connecting it to a game. So, like, those, those type of, like, uh, giving giving some structure, but also giving some open ended, allows for a variety of different mindsets, kids' yeah. mindsets, to and come I, to the table. And I would just add quickly: it's it's really software, right? We talk about how do you do it uh, in with mass mar- injection molded product. It, yeah. It's probably not right. You look at Lego; they they yeah. make bricks, bricks or bricks or bricks. Yeah. It's really software, and it's really you know folks teaching coding with software. I mean, you have a lot more flexibility on, uh, in a piece of software to to you know kind of serve many 
many consumers or many many students, um, you know, more effectively. I think. Well, um, one last question before we go into Q and A, uh, because you guys are all super business minded and successful and SVPs and so on and so forth. How do you <laughs> how do you keep your childlike wonder on a day to day basis, right? Because you have so many business goals to answer. You're looking for technology and you know looking at this the data and so on and so forth. But at some point, you like fun is a big word that keeps coming up. How do you keep that childlike curiosity? We make toys. <laughs> I, I mean, like we could be doing this in any industry, uh, but we get to make toys. Um, you know, obviously, seeing our, our products in the hands of, of our consumers really changes changes your mentality. Um, but for me, I don't have a long history in in, in this in this space. I, I came from a technology background, um, so I, we're making toys at the end of the day, and it's all about play, which is exciting. Try not to grow up. Um, my <laughs> wife hates me for that, but I haven't grown up, so. Uh, well, a little bit, um, but the uh, I think environment's important. Um, having a group in an environment where they can play and play as part of the work and it's not frowned upon is important. I think in any company, regardless of whether it's toy or the play industry or not, um, I think you know providing uh, impetus for them to sort of get out and not just get focused on the job is really important. I try to just look in the mirror, and if I look sad before I'm going to work, I, tell, I take that as a sign. You know, try to respect the boredom. Seriously, I mean, a lot of times you spend months working on some features, and you're like, you know, we're doing everything by the check boxes, right? This is uh-huh. where the market research is telling us. But like, dudes, I'm playing it. It's not fun. That's the thing. Yeah. You have a checkbox. You know? Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's too check boxable, that's also you're not, not a great supposed to check boxes. Yeah. That's a Mattel and a Hasbro. Yeah. Thing. You know, at some point, it just you have to just yeah listen to your boredom. Yeah, I'd say be curious, you know? I mean, yeah. ask any question. I'm probably the best and worst play tester for anyone here because I will touch everything even if you don't want me to. But then I'll ask questions, and they'll be dumb and smart, but at least I ask them. That's a great one, yeah. yeah. I think uh, if you're not asking, if, if the experience isn't leading you to ask new questions, that's yeah. also not a great sign. What a great segue. <laughs> Speaking of asking well questions, <laughs> Jonathan Taplin. Okay, Tappin. Hello. I'm going to direct this kind of at Aslan and Dan and maybe some to Chris as well. So we talked about the old marketing thing of Saturday morning commercials, push, and the idea of a blockbuster tour. But you've described these ways that people find things through YouTube and App Store. And and much more subtle. Are your companies more willing to be patient in seeing a kind of organic Develop people. Good I love the expressions in the yeah. audience. No, yeah. I, can, I can do it. I mean, uh, no, right? Uh, I, I, think, I think we're evolving. Um, yeah. I can obviously speak for us. I, I think there's, man, this industry is very trend based um, and immediate, and it's, it's pretty wild that most of, most of our company is working on something 18, for 18, that'll be on shelf 18 months from now. Um, and if you miss, you miss. Um, and, and, you know, we, I think, you know, we, we turn over 70% of our, our toy lineup every single year. So, so it's, it's pretty wild. And I, but, I, but I think with, with some of the stuff that at least my team is focusing on, we, we are building platforms. We're investing, you know, in, in, in continuing to iterate and learn. But, but it's an evolution I- internally, for sure. Yeah. And I'll answer from an agency perspective because Hasbro is a client, right? And in, in any of our clients, we look at this idea of, like, when is it going to launch, right? You say 18 months or whatever. 
our job is to look at culture at that point in time and say, all right, what does the thing do? What does it, you know, what does it stand for, et cetera, et cetera, and then try to align that with, it might be YouTube, it might, like, it could be Minecraft, it could be, be like, whatever's going to be hot at that window of launch. Um, and it's easier with, like, stayed brands, you know, like a Transformers, or, but if it's something new and we're always kind of, like, looking to where can we align culturally and, and do things special with the, with the products. Yeah, and one of the things, it wasn't a Mattel product, but Rainbow Loom, right, is a great example of, of being patient, right? I, I think it was out. I don't know the exact numbers. It was out for a long time. And, you know, I think, you know, it finally blew up when a couple people started, you know, you know showing how to make things with Rainbow Loom, and then it became viral on YouTube. But... Would would a Mattel or a Hasbro have been there after six twelve months? Uh, you know, I think it's obviously a different perspective from an Anki or someone that's VC funded. Um, you've got some patience and you, you've kind of got uh, a time to get there. Let's move to question number two, sorry. young lady. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> How long from the launch? Yeah, so did you go six months later, revisited it? Okay. I mean, I worked on games that took three and a half years to develop, and we were testing them by 18 months in, so you could say it was two years of testing and iteration. I mean, I think for those of us on the development side, you know, you want as much of that as you can get, has been my experience. Yeah. You're talking post-launch? Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you may be more more aligned with this. You know, with software based, yeah. app based kind of metrics. Um, it's rare that we do that much testing after launch, but when we have, um, it's been really, really useful. I think um, one thing that we found that I, I'm very proud of was with Furby Boom, our post market research with parents about three months after the launch, maybe four, was that parents were thrilled that they'd spent this significant amount of money on a toy but the kids were still playing with it three months later. Yeah. And it breaks my heart when you see an expensive toy you know, being bought and it's you know, over $100 and kids will play with it for three days and it goes on a shelf and becomes a nice piece of room decor. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just not good for the environment or you know, anyone really. So um, I think that, that was really fulfilling. So we are starting to do more tests to make sure that we're achieving those goals and getting that feedback. Do have time for one more from this? Uh, oh, you have a question. I thought you were telling me it was five minutes left. Uh, but, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> you did not pay me to say that, correct? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
people, it makes it relevant and yeah. personalized Engaging as well. Person. You know, I mean, millennials are the kids that actually um, grew up as the generation of readers of Harry Potter. And you can see that social activism with the HP Alliance, the Harry Potter Alliance, which, you know, they have done, they pretty much created the real Dumbledore's army. And what would Dumbledore do? And is like, literally not only brought it in the classroom to get more reading happening, but also done, uh, brought it out to um, you know, get Warner Brothers to do fair trade chocolate in all the um, Hogwarts tours at Universal <laughs> Studios. It's been pretty amazing. I'm going to do Rel- one, one last question, and, fr- and I'm going to go to uh, Dylan's dad, because I'm, I'm such a fan. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also He's jealous. So As a parent of a 10-year-old, I'm like, oh, I missed the... I, I <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> totally fucked up. Well, one way to one way to look at that is uh, there's an explosion of companies where their sole focus is taking markets and companies and helping to guide where your marketing spend is going. That's their whole job is doing analytics and just yeah, trying to talk you as a as a potential advertiser into giving them a budget and then they do you know there's like a whole buffet approach that a lot of these companies do where their their preference is to get you to just give them a bucket of money and then they, you tell them who your audience is and they figure out how to find the eyeballs and where where they are when they are you know um so i mean that just tells you something about how deep of a problem this has become anyone else all right thank you guys this is great thank you Oh, 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 oh,